It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here. That's what you've earned here tonight. Forget about the crowd. It's the size of the school. Their fancy uniforms. And remember what got you here. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch because we know when we add up all those inches, that, that, that's going to make the f***ing difference between winning and losing. It's down to the wire with, 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 with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Down to the Wire. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Mr. Speedy PD. As you guys know, remember, you can call us at 631-965-4990. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com and download our app, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't have it, iOS, WWSRN, or do this. It's very simple. Go to your Android and put in Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download our app. It is great, not only for the fans, but for everybody. If you like to read stories, you like sports stories, you like to listen to our show, you like to watch our show, anything that you want to do, and you can check out all our shows. You go to our show page, and you hit our shows. You can dial up and find every single one of our shows. So, guys, the app is for you guys. It was made for you guys. Download the app. That's all I'm going to say about that. Speedy Petey, how was your weekend, man? It was good. I visited my cousins. We had our first campfire of the year and played a little football. Had a lot of fun. And also... You sh- played football? Uh, I played two on two, essentially. I mean, how cousins. much do you weigh? Could you run? Uh, somewhat, but... Not Could you catch the ball? Well. Are you good at catching the ball? I'm better as a, as a corner, but I, I can catch the ball. Oh, you're a corner now. So you, you hang like a magnet. Like, whenever, we, whenever my family played football, I was always... More of the, I was the corner and the receiver at times. So my, we all know you're a receiver. Yeah. You, you, you are. You, you like to take it. But, you know. You but know? my brothers, for the most part, were faster. So that's what it was. Also, a shout out to my youngest cousin, Sebastian. It is his twelfth birthday today. Happy oh, birthday. happy birthday! Uh, we've got birthdays, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. And we have a great show lined up for you at six at six thirty. We'll be talking to former Wisconsin Badger punter. Connor Allen, and at 7.15, we'll be talking to Tennessee Volunteers football offensive and defensive tackle recruit Colby Smith. I just want to give a shout-out to all the fans out there. I will not be here for the last hour of the show. We will have Mark Kelly Everett joining with Speedy Petey. He will be doing the interviews with Colby and uh, all the different things that they're going to be talking about in the in the second hour of the show. I'd like to apologize. I will be back full sh- full-fledged tomorrow on our show, but I have a lot of sh- stuff going on. I almost said a bad word, but <laughs> I have a lot of stuff going on. Just say that for our network, and it's a lot... A lot of importance to for me to be on the phone and make sure I get these calls. So I will not be on for the second hour. It will be Mark Everett and Mr. Speedy Petey. But the first topic I really want to get into is the topic that everybody's been talking about throughout the country and throughout the world is Cam Newton. And I told everybody from day one that I wouldn't be so surprised that by the end of the draft, if he's not signed by anybody – 
somehow or some way, Bill Belichick will have his way with somewhat of the free agency market. And he did. Cam Newton signs a one-year deal yesterday with the Patriots with the incentives. He's going to get up to $7.5 million for one-year contract, which is a steal for a guy that won an MVP in 2015 and only got hurt, what was it, a year and a half ago? And he's now 100% healthy. Everything that I've read, all the different workouts that I've seen on the Internet, this guy is all ready to go. He's going to prove to everybody that this guy could play on the field. And I'm going to tell you right now, for all the Jet fans, all the Buffalo Bill fans, and all the Miami fans, I would not be happy right now knowing that Cam Newton now is in the same division and to me, is to, uh, he has a lot to prove right now. He has a lot to prove because he wants that big contract. And if he has an outstanding year with the New England Patriots, not only will the New England Patriots might sign him, there will be other teams lined mm-hmm. up and ready and willing to sign a 31-year-old ex MVP candidate in two thousand. Well, he won the MVP in two thousand fifteen. And let's not forget too, in twenty seventeen, and also the first half or so of twenty eighteen before he got hurt, he was playing at that level too. I think his numbers in twenty eighteen were right on pace with with his MVP year. Obviously, until he regressed a little, and then we found out he got hurt. So let's not forget that either. Now it'll be interesting to see on both ends of it with Belichick and with Cam Newton. Both are different in terms of what they faced before. So that'll be interesting. Who do we have on the phone? Who we speaking to? Well, one, I get to pick on Pete because I haven't picked on him in a while. I'll do that in a moment. Two, yes, you do that a lot. Go ahead. I, I, yes, you know I do that a lot. Two, as much as I would like to think that the deal that Cam Newton got for the Patriots is good, and on the peripherals it looks good, I'm going to wait until August to render my judgment on it. Because I'll say it looks good. He got a hell of a deal for one year. And you're right, Carol. He does have a lot to prove. But there is a niggling question in the back of my brain. And you know how I am with my research. And you know how I am looking at all angles of a story. Here's one no one's bringing up. Is he actually going to get the chance to prove it? I do think he's going to prove it. I I think he's going to be the starting quarterback on this team this year. It's not going to be Stidham. Everybody thought it was going to be Stidham or it was going to be somebody else. It's not going to be anybody but Cam Newton. This guy is he's been an MVP. He went to a Super Bowl in 2015. This guy has a lot to prove, and I think he's going to prove it this year. He looks very, very healthy. I don't know if anybody's seen the workout uh, videos that he has put on YouTube. This guy is a beast. He's six foot five, 250 pounds. He can jump like an ox. He can do, I mean, not jump, jump like a kangaroo. He's as strong as an ox. Uh, I mean, this guy is as good this guy, Brian, is as good as any quarterback in the NFL when healthy. And being that he is going to be a part of the New England Patriots and they try to find schemes that work for Cam Newton. And we've seen this over and over again, not just with quarterbacks, with players yeah. that he has brought into the team. Bill Belichick has brought into the team. He finds a way to sure. fill in those schemes with the players that he has. And Cam Newton is a guy who's a running quarterback, powerful quarterback, but he can throw with accuracy. He can move on the roll and actually throw the ball on the roll. I think he's going to be very, very dangerous, especially in the AFC East. As good as some of these AFC defenses are, like the Buffalo Bills and even maybe the New York Jets this year, they're going to have problems stopping Cam Newton because we saw in one of the hardest divisions in football, we have seen Cam Newton run all over the New Orleans Saints. We've seen him run against all these different great defenses and completely dominated. So 
Um, I'm I'm worried for the AFC East bringing in somebody as good as Cam Newton. The Bills will be especially interesting in the matchup of him versus his former defensive coordinator and McDermott too. Yeah, but here's the here's the point. You know, his his former defensive coordinator Pete, as you said, will have a plan for him. I want to see it happen. Trust me, this is me not being a, a pessimist. And aside of the fact that I went to the doctor today and I got stuck in a full of drugs right now, but I want are you to okay? You okay? I'm 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 doing better. That's good. I'm gonna be probably gonna be off air for about three days. Okay. But uh, I'm happy that you're okay. I want to I want to see I want to see it happen. I want to see it happen. And let's talk about the other 400 pound elephant in the room by the name of Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. My thoughts are these. No one's going to sign him. No one's going to take a chance on him. I, I think that a lot of NFL teams have to look at the whole big picture. Right now, Seattle owns the rights to Colin Kaepernick, and they are taking phone calls for him. Everything that I've read, that they're taking phone calls. But I don't think anybody's going to give up a significant amount for somebody like Colin Kaepernick. And I think a lot of teams, a lot of teams that we're talking about in the NFL that might be looking for a backup quarterback, a reliable backup quarterback, they're going to take a step back before they decide to go after somebody like Colin Kaepernick with everything that you're seeing what's going on right now in the world with uh, you're hearing the NFL they're going to allow kneeling and if that happens if it does happen and Roger Goodell has to take a step back right now and really look and look at this big situation right now because I understand the whole Floyd situation the George Floyd situation and I I think Uh, it was terrible it was horrendous what happened absolutely horrendous what happened but for this to happen in professional sports and be, being put on a platform the way it is, it's going to affect the platform moving forward this season. Yeah, it, it's going to affect the platform moving forward, not just this season, but next and beyond that. So here's my, here, here are my thoughts. You know why I never talked about George Floyd on my program? I want to have fun. Mm-hmm. Do I think what happened to him deserves to be brushed off? No, absolutely absolutely not. not. And as a black man, no, absolutely not. But I've had so many people ask me, why don't you speak on the Floyd situation? Because I talk sports, not politics. Mm -hmm. Me and politics politics don't get along. Mm -hmm. And they haven't gotten along in a long time. I keep my thoughts to myself. I express them to my wife. She and I talk about it, and that's that. And that's the way it should be, Brian, because when you look at the world in the big picture right now, there is nothing going on in sports. So what we try to drive is we try to drive conversation, what's going on in the sports world, to try to hide what's going on in the real world. And it's a cover. Mm-hmm. It's a, I shouldn't say cover. Back no, you're, it's, not, you're not covering. It's but that, I got what you're it's, saying. It's something that should, it, yeah, I, I used the wrong word and I apologize. It's something that should happen. And Speedy Petey, I hate to say this about your boy LeBron James, but he's going to come up short for winning a title. <laughs> Just because you hate him doesn't mean I have a fan fest for him. You're the biggest LeBron hater in the sports media universe that I know, probably outside of Skip Bayless. And no, you actually might be more. <laughs> no. I hate to inform you of this, Pete, but aside of Skip Bayless and me, I'm married to a LeBron hater, and we have great conversations about that. Oh, really? I have a lot of respect. I have a lot of respect and for I LeBron James. That, and I did, I did that just to pick at Pete. But I just want to 
call it, ring in and talk with you guys for for a few minutes before I zonk out here. Mm-hmm. It's good to talk to you guys. It's good to be back on there with you guys. Oh, man, I can't wait to get you on our network. And that's going to be very, very soon as well. Snowman in the morning will be joining us in the very, very near future. Hopefully he's okay. Uh, but uh, I'm very excited to bring him on on our network. I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, with everything that's going on in the world and uh, all the transition with our network, it, it's been very, very hard. But I'm very excited to announce that Snowman in the Morning will be joining the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Indeed. Indeed. So, I had to cut a few networks loose, but Daryl <laughs> came to me and said, uh, I got a chance for you, decided to take it. And I'm happy that you did because I'm looking forward to working with you moving forward. And you're a great, great analyst. You're a great broadcaster. And I think you have a unique voice and a unique content that you bring to the table. And I think it'll really drive the fans here in New York and throughout the country. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Feel better, my friend. Feel better. Thank Thank you. Brian Snow, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the host of Snowman in the Morning, which will be joining the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We will be talking to, when we come back from break, former Wisconsin Badger punter Connor Allen here on Down to the Wire. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, 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 you're listening to Down to the Wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero is the number. As you guys know, this is Down to the Wire. We are live every single Monday and Tuesday from 6 p.m. 8 p.m. New York's Eastern Time. And remember, guys, if you want to download our apps, our website, all you got, well, you don't have to download it. You can absolutely look it, look it up at www.worldwidesportsradionetwork. Um, but you could also do this, ladies and gentlemen. You can go to our website. I mean, you can go to our app by doing this. You go to Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, or you can go to the iOS, WWSRN. As you guys know, we have our first guest of the show. I was looking forward to interviewing this kid. Uh, this guy has been very well known as a punter for the Wisconsin Badgers. We are now talking to punter Connor Allen. What's going on, Connor? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show tonight. Absolutely. I, I was really looking forward to getting you on the show because growing up, I couldn't stand the Wisconsin Badgers. I couldn't stand them. <laughs> I really couldn't stand them. And uh, this has been a great school, a great football school. As you guys know, uh, there is a quarterback that was drafted from this same school, a.k.a. a guy that's a superstar and an MVP candidate last year, Mr. Russell Wilson. So um, this is a very good school, very well coached. Um, as you guys know, we are talking to Connor Allen. Connor, how are you and your family doing with this pandemic? Uh, similar to everybody else. We're just kind of hanging out, staying safe, you know, being smart about everything and uh, trying to make the most of it as we can. Well, are you hiding under your table like we are as we speak? <laughs> uh, I'm in the basement of my well, there you go. I mean, you have to hide behind something. Uh, maybe you're hiding in your closet or something with all your T-shirts or your shirts, you know, or your sneakers. Maybe you're a sneaker collector like I am. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or Antoine Harris. <laughs> or Antoine Harris. Yes, we had Antoine Harris the other day. Yeah, he was actually promoting his sneakers, so I'm going to be buying those as well. So there you go. We have uh, ex-professional football players, hopefully soon-to-be NFL players, that are going to have their sneakers, their jerseys, or whatever the heck they collect. 
That'd be perfect. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your career at Wisconsin. Yeah, so I was a walk-on. Um, you know, no, no scholarship offers out of high school or anything like that. Um, figured out that when I got there my freshman year, I wasn't going to play right away. So I, you know, found that if I could learn how to hold for field goals and PATs that I could earn myself a spot on the travel roster and possibly play the next year. So I registered my first year, um, earned my, my holding spot, and ended up playing the next 55 or 56 games of my career. Talk about Paul Christ as a head coach. How did he sway you to pick Wisconsin and really embrace that program? Um, you know, honestly, it was my uh, my dream school from being a kid. Like, I've always I've grown up a Badger fan. I've always dreamed of playing football at Wisconsin. So it was, it was truly a dream come true for me. When you look at some of the players that you played against or even played with, who stood out to you the most as a teammate or who you played against? Um, I would say uh, JT honestly stood out the most. Uh, I mean, he's just like the most hyped-up guy that I've ever played around. In all honesty, and he's truly super, super down to earth. Um, if you know him, and a truly great teammate, a really smart guy. Uh, you know, works his butt off every day, every night. So it's truly the perfect team player. Um, somebody that you really want to be around all the time. What was your favorite part of watching him play? Because he was one of the most electric college running backs, really, definitely in recent memory. And his stats are one of the best all time. Yeah, it, it was just during the games you'd be watching, you had to be ready at all times because you never know when he's going to break one for a touchdown. He could be at the 20-yard line, and all of a sudden we're going 80-yard uh, for a TD. So you got to be ready at all times when he's on the field. When you talk about Wisconsin, Connor, and, and you know about the Badgers and you know what they do, how they recruit players, they, they've been known for defenses over the years. This is also for their basketball. What stood out to Wisconsin all those years that you wanted to play for them? I think it was the culture they have there. So, you know, being a Wisconsin kid, that's that's the only D1 program for football in Wisconsin, which I think, you know, gives them an advantage in a way compared to, like, the Alabamas. There's multiple schools down there. Uh, in the Floridas, there's multiple schools. But uh, Wisconsin, that that's the only one for us. So that's kind of, you know, as a Wisconsin kid, that's the, the ultimate goal. Um, but then they're just always constantly bringing in great people, great guys that are all about the team. There are no me guys like you might find at some other schools. Um, I think that's, you know, courtesy of Coach Chris and his staff is doing a fantastic job recruiting the type of player that they want to have there to continue that, that great culture we have. We are talking to former Wisconsin Badger punter Connor Allen. Connor, talk about the Big Ten now. Between, Do you think that the Big Ten has been kind of undervalued when everyone talks about the power conferences with the SEC? Do you think it's undervalued? And also, who was the toughest opponent in your, uh, your, when you come to opponents that you faced? What was your most looking forward to facing in the Big Ten? I think the Big Ten is definitely overlooked as a as a Power Five conference. You know, when everyone's always like, "Oh, the SEC is is the greatest thing alive," but there's a ton of great teams in the Big Ten that I think in the past, you know, five to eight years have really shown how strong of a conference it really is. When you look at the, uh, the Ohio State, obviously Wisconsin, you got Penn State. You know, those those three teams kind of you know top it off, and they're always in the Big Ten championship, always reaching for a playoff berth. Um, you know, among the countries. So I, I think you can't really overlook the Big Ten in that aspect anymore with the, the type of teams we're putting out every year. Um, as far as my favorite team to play against, I would definitely say Minnesota. I have a deep, deep hatred for Minnesota, being a Wisconsin kid. 
uh, and being a Badger, so it's always fun to play them and keep the axe where it belongs. Now, Connor, as a punter, I, I don't know much about punting. Uh, never tried to punt a, a football. I did play football in high school. I was a pretty good corner. I was a pretty good wide receiver, but I wasn't a punter. And I tried to punt quite a few times. I am terrible, okay? I am absolutely terrible, <laughs> and I can't play soccer for my life. Those are two things I cannot do. Kicking things is not what I'm good at, okay? So just yeah. so you know that. What, what drove you to be a, a punter? I mean, seriously, I mean – when you look at the the aspects of the game and really the drive of the game, and I believe punting is as, as important than any position in football, especially in professional football, because if you have a good punter, you can put it where you want it in certain aspects of the game, and it can change the game, change the speed of the game by just punting the ball. So what made you want to be a punter? Were you a soccer player? What drove you to do that? I actually never played soccer growing up. I might have played for maybe like half a season, but it just really wasn't my thing. Um, but, you know, I, I worked at it I was, as I was younger, and my dad had me do these punt, pass, and kick competitions that they do all over the country. And I think practicing for that, I, I figured out I was, I was actually pretty good at it. And, you know, over the years, uh, you see the value that it adds to the team, um, you know, all throughout, like, middle school and high school football. It, it played a big role in our success as a team, especially in high school, you know, being able to control the field position. Um, so it just provides you, you know, an aspect. Like, as me, I'm I'm a smaller guy, so it's not like I have the size to play college football at any position or the talent by that means. But uh, punting was something that allowed me to to live out my dream and play at a high level like that at Wisconsin. Did you win any of those punt, pass, and kick competitions when you were a kid? And if so, did you win multiple? Um, I made it to Lambeau Field, which is like the final thing on one year, uh, but I ended up losing in, in that final. But it was pretty cool to go there. Now, by the way, everybody, we are talking to former Badgers punter Connor Allen. And like I ever, and everybody keeps saying, I can't believe you hate the Wisconsin Badgers. I hated them when I was a kid, okay? I, I never liked them. I, I grew up a Florida State fan, okay? That's I was a Florida State fan growing up. I followed them. I hated the Miami Hurricanes. I hated a lot of teams. I hated Michigan. I hated all the – I liked the Ohio State Buckeyes. I mean, I, yeah. I liked them. <laughs> but uh, there was there were certain teams I just didn't like, and Wisconsin was one of those teams I just couldn't – I didn't like the colors, okay? That's the truth. I didn't like the colors. <laughs> I, I didn't like them. Anyways – um, when you look at the game and how it's transitioned, the NFL game, and, and how some of these punters, some of them are now uh, ex-rugby players, some of them are ex-soccer players, what are your thoughts to the transition of the game as a punter and what you've seen as a football player in college to the NFL game? I think people are starting to understand how big of a, an aspect of the game it is in special teams in general. And, you know, how it's really true. It's one-third of the game. you got offense, defense, special teams. And if you don't have that respect for the special teams, like, that, that can cause some problems throughout your gameplay, throughout your season and over the years. But with the teams that really practice it and, you know, respect it, they, they go a long way having that third of the game wrapped up and, and being successful in that way. And I think as we look at the different types of athletes that are, you know, becoming punchers as we go on here, there's a lot of Australian guys coming over who can just crush the football. They've grown up doing that their whole life. Um, you know, so they come over here and they, they add a huge, uh, a huge amount to any team that they come to. And, you know, as from, you look at the, the typical specialist from like 20 years ago and you look at them now and these guys are beefy. They're, they're working out all the time. Like 
you would never know. Some guys look like a linebacker out there. It's ridiculous. But I think it, the position itself has definitely transitioned over time into a lot more of an athletic person, and it's becoming to be a lot more respected by fans in general. A lot of times in college football at many different levels, D1, D2, or D3, we see the punters also be the backup quarterbacks. And I know at my school, which was a D3 school, we, it was also our starting running back too. One year was also the punter. <laughs> uh, what do you think that, why do you think they end up doing that in college football? Is it a strategy aspect? Is, is it a roster construction aspect with the, with the recruiting? What do you think are the biggest reasons for that? And also, did you have any of those experiences like that too? Um, I mean, and if it makes any sense in high school, I was quarterback. Kind of <laughs> there you go. Well, but uh, but uh, I think it just kind of depends on the roster, like who you have. And, you know, some teams uh, will have – maybe they only have a couple quarterbacks that year for whatever reason, and that's just somebody who who's a decent background to throw in the football and, you know, can learn a few plays if they needed it. Um, but, you know, for me, Wisconsin always had a bunch of quarterbacks. So, unfortunately, I never got that opportunity as much as I would have loved to do that. As you guys know, we are talking to former Wisconsin Badgers punter, Connor Allen, and it's not easy to be a punter in college, Division One football, and being a walk-on, it's, a, it's an incredible story, by the way. And I was reading a little bit about your story online because one of, one of our social media managers, Ricky, reached out to you and uh, uh, told me we were going to get you on the show. So I wanted to do a little bit of an investigation about you, and I investigate a little bit, and a lot of fans have been writing to me on our uh, social media. So I'm going to ask you some of the questions that they're asking me right now to you. Uh, what is the biggest win you have ever had at Wisconsin? And also where have you put Paul Christ uh, among coaches in the league? Um, I think my biggest win uh, probably personally just out of the excitement for it and how much it meant was this past season when we beat Minnesota at Minnesota uh, for my senior year. And, you know, coming off of last year, we lost to them and lost the act after having for, I think, 14 straight years. And, you know, that's a, that's a deep-rooted rivalry that's been going on for a long, long time. So there's a lot of meaning behind that. And then to come back this year and beat down on them at their own place when they were ranked higher than us and all the talk was about how well they were doing and we come in and, you know, make sure they know what's up and, and take the axe back again. That was probably the coolest win that I've been a part of. Um, and as for Paul Chris, honestly, he's, he's one of the best coaches I've ever been around or gotten the, gotten the opportunity to be around. Truly, truly a, a player type of coach. Um, it's all about, you know, it's nothing about him. It's all about the team, all about the guys that, that make the success happen. Um, I think he's very, very well respected by his peers and also by us players um, just for, you know, the type of guy he is and how much he cares about us. One of the biggest tragedies in college football recently was the Nebraska punter, the passing of him. I'm drawing a blank on his name. As a punter yourself and also as a Big Ten football player, what were the emotions like when you found out that happened and even in the following game playing, playing kind of for him in that essence as a punter? Yeah, you're referring to Sam Foltz. Yep. Um, actually, believe it or not, I had met him the weekend that happened at the, the camp that it happened at. We were all there coaching and, um, you know, doing our, our thing as well the, prior, a couple of days prior to the high school camp. But we were all there that weekend. That was the first weekend I'd ever met him. Um, truly an amazing human being, super, super cool guy. You know, for, for being a young guy at that time and him being a, a senior um, you know, he took me in like I was a brother immediately. I'd never met the guy before. So, you know, he's truly one of those amazing people that, that was just gone too soon. 
but I think it kind of um, kind of you know wakes you up in a way as well for just to realize how fortunate you are to you know to in all aspects just be alive and, and be able to live your life the way you do. And then for us as being D1 athletes and you know having all the privileges that that we get from playing a sport like that, that it's truly humbling um, when you think about it. And I think we did a lot of good things to honor him uh, that year when that happened. Um, you know, like our kicker, Rafael Gagliano, uh, he changed his number to Sam's number because um, they were good buddies. And so, you know, it, it goes a lot farther than just sports. It's, it's all about, you know, knowing people and creating lifelong friendships. And, and fortunately, that's what we've been able to do with football. So it's really cool opportunity. We are talking to former Wisconsin Badger punter, Connor Allen. Now, Connor, I'm a dancer. I like to dance, okay? I don't know about you, and I, I don't know about the locker room over there in Wisconsin because, as you know, I'm not a Wisconsin fan, so I, I'm probably thinking that they're a little, little bit lame over there in Wisconsin. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, what do you guys do, you know, before the game? Do you guys – is, is there a, a crazy person? Is there a comedian over there that's dancing, blasting music, um, pulling pranks on people? Is there a certain person that went, who you played with in Wisconsin that was the, the clown of the bunch? Uh, I would say we didn't necessarily have a clown as much as we did, uh, like, a pump-up guy. You got everybody all excited before a game, you know, right before kickoff. We'd be in the locker room uh, during those media timeouts, and we'd be listening to the same song. I forget what the name is, but we we played the same song. <laughs> How do you forget the name, out. Connor? How do you forget the name? You hear it over and over again. I'm blanking on the name. We played the same <laughs> song before every game. And then Chris Orr would be the one that hyped everybody up, you know, yelling, screaming inside in the locker room. Get everybody hyped up. So much respect to him. He brought the energy every game, every day for that matter. It was, it was a joy to be around. As a punter, I mean, obviously there's not a, they, they come and go a lot of times in the league. There he goes. There you go, Connor. He's taking shots at you now. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm taking <laughs> come and go. I'm looking at the trend. Come and the, go at, at the trend of the position. Mm-hmm. Did you have Did you have any particular influences as a punter growing up that you looked forward to in the NFL? And if it wasn't a punter, I mean, who were your favorite NFL players growing up? Uh, my favorite NFL players growing up, I grew up in the Brett Favre era. So that was that was my – I always wore four was my number for all the sports I played. always looked up to him as, like, the greatest player there is. Um, so that was kind of my, my football inspiration when I was a kid. Um, I think that's kind of changed now to staying with a similar position, though Aaron Rodgers, just an all-around good guy, um, you know, and does a ton for Wisconsin sports in general and, and the people of Wisconsin. That goes unnoticed by a lot of media, but he, he does a lot, uh, kind of, you know, like under the side of everybody. Um, but specifically punter-wise, I would say probably Thomas Morstead. Um, I met him a couple times, just an all-around great guy. One of those people that truly believes in sharing the knowledge, so everything he's learned, he's more than willing to give you any tips or anything that he knows, that he, that he knows he can make you a better player, he'll, he'll share it with you and you know, that's just one of those people that you look up to and be like, you know, I want to be like him when, when I get older. I want to be in his position uh, and be able to do that same thing and give back to the, the guys that are younger than me. So what's not? What's next for Connor Allen, okay? Because to me, uh, the Jets just drafted a punter in the seventh or a sixth round, and you don't see punters really get drafted. You usually see them get picked up in free agency or unrestricted free agents or whatever. Uh, do you see yourself playing in the NFL? And if you do, what team has reached out to you? 
Uh, unfortunately, I don't believe I will be playing in the NFL as much as I'd love to say I am. Um, <laughs> I, I will always keep that window open. That will never close. So if anybody needs anything, I'm always here. But, <laughs> but uh, that, that unfortunately won't be happening anytime soon, I don't think. What were your favorite, in terms of Wisconsin, what were your favorite plays that you had at Wisconsin or moments within those games that you had? Um, there was one that stands out that was, uh, I believe, two years ago when we played at Purdue in that game that went to triple overtime. Um, and JT ended up running in and triple OT for a score, and we won that way. But there was a punt that I had with about a minute left in the game, and we were on, like, the, I want to say on the 10-yard, like our own 10-yard line um, and going out, and all they needed to win was a, a field goal. You know, if I shank a punt, like they're in great field position, most likely hit a field goal to win it. The time expires and we lose. Um, but I was able to hit a good ball that pushed them back far enough where they weren't able to get a field goal trying to keep that problem for three downs, and we were able to go into OT and eventually win. So that was probably one of my most significant uh, memories from, from playing. Well, Connor, I'll tell you this. I, I think you have a good radio voice. I don't know what you majored in college, but uh, this is something that I think you could be really, really good at. Uh, I, I don't know if there was any thought in your mind uh, to be a broadcaster or an analyst or a radio guy, but you have a, a very unique radio voice, and you understand college sports. What other sports do you follow? Are you a baseball fan? Are you a basketball fan? Are you a hockey fan? And what teams do you follow? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I can't say that I follow anything too closely. Um, I know there's a lot of guys, like I'm sure like you guys, that are, are deep into the stats of everything that goes on. We try. Um, I'm more so more so just kind of like for the enjoyment and, and get the entertainment from watching. You know, football would be my, my, close, my most closely followed sport if, if there is one like that. Well, entertaining is, is what we do here, okay? So we entertain <laughs> people. So now you are a fan of ours. So now every single day or every single week you should be tuning in and listening to us <laughs> and being a fan of us. And I'll tell you this. Every time you pop up on our feed and you ask us questions, I'm going to give you a shout-out, Connor. How's that sound? All right, perfect. There you go. What, what, are, you, uh, what are your plans to, uh, moving forward? Uh, what did you graduate from college? And uh, where do you see yourself in the future now? Yeah, so I graduated this spring. I triple majored in finance, management, and risk management insurance. Um, and so I got a job working at Baird, which is a financial services uh, firm down in Milwaukee. And I'm going to be doing financial advising. Oh, man. You're going to do very, very well. You, you could, I could tell you're a smart guy, and you, you have your stuff together. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, where you go in the future. And definitely tune in and, and follow us. And I, I'll tell you this, Connor. We would love to get you on when the college football season starts, uh, when we want to talk about Wisconsin football. You'll be our Wisconsin guy. Absolutely. I got you covered. Thank you so much, Connor, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Connor Allen, ex-Wisconsin Badger, punter. Uh, great insight of his thoughts of his career and really some of the players that he played with mm -hmm. and, and, and really – Really nice kid. Really nice kid. He should be something with radio. I think. Yeah. I think he'd be very, very good. I, I agree. Really I, I agree. He had a very clear and very entertaining radio voice. I would definitely see. I could definitely see that. But again, in finances, he's going to make some money and he's going to help people make some money. So, good luck with everything with him going forward. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, if. If Connor wants to join us every single week for Wisconsin football to talk a little Badger football with us, we would love to have him on. Absolutely. Anyways, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get in more 
with this baseball situation. MLB, I will probably be leaving at 7 o'clock. My partner, uh, well, my partner in crime, Mr. Speedy Petey, will have a new partner in the very well-known, yes, go ahead, Speedy. Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly joining us here on Down to the Wire. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, 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 you're listening, listening to Down, down to, to the, the wire. wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Down to the Wire. I am your host, Mark Everett Kelly, replacing Errol Marks here with my man Speedy. As we get into the 7 o'clock hour, talking about, uh, you just had a, a guest on. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, now we're going to start talking about college football and whether or not we have a guest at 7.15. We have two, we had two college football guests, so okay. that actually ends up being very convenient. Well, it, I think what everybody wants to know is, is there going to be a season? Mm-hmm. And you see what all the, the players testing positive for COVID we had, how many Clemson players. 21 Clemson. Yeah, yep. and then like 13 more, like almost 35 players or, or uh, people involved with the football program mm-hmm. testing positive for COVID. Right. And these are guys that are mostly asymptomatic. So that's the other thing that, that's kind of the catch-22 about this, about this disease is that it's only going to kill about 20% of the population. And most of the athletes, when they get sick, they don't even know. So they've been testing now because they want to get back to playing so that's why there's a little more of a spike in some areas not the only reason but that's part of the reason and a lot of these guys will go asymptomatic not even know and the good thing about that is when they're tested they're not going to infect anybody else so that way they can stay quarantined but what do you think speedy do you think we're going to have a season i think there's still plenty of time to have a season just because i think in terms of college football, it's, for one thing, a little shorter than an NFL season. Obviously, they have a bunch of bowl games, but again, that's one bowl game. It's not like you have to have a series of uh, particular things like other sports, too, with the ones in the playoffs. So I think it'll happen. I think it will be either shortened or, again, modified, I guess, in some way. I think there's a, the problem is with college football in comparison to the pro sports, it's just there's a lot more teams. So you have, there's going to be more travel. You have to figure out, right. all right, how are we going to deal with this in terms of dealing with it local because college schedules come out what seven years in advance or something like that yeah. so it's it's hard to prepare for anything like that when these schedules came out in 2013 or 2014 trying to plan for all these rivalry games and stuff like that so I, it's definitely trickier i know and these are big deals for some of the small smaller colleges who play big mm-hmm. big name colleges right. it's their only year to play them maybe and make uh make, make the make money, some right. money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but i think a, a good idea that i hear keep getting tossed around is to stay conference only. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that would work for SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve is a little more spread out. So I don't know how well that would work there. The ACC, I think, is the most spread out because yeah. they got the whole East Coast. And then you also got Notre Dame. Like, what did they do? <laughs> you know, uh, you cannot have a college football season without Notre Dame. People would revolt. As I mean, it'd be fine with me, but I think people would revolt. Well, we don't get to see them choke in big games. <laughs> yeah, well, not. Even, you know, it's funny because growing up, Notre Dame was, you know, when they had Lou Holtz and mm-hmm. uh, they won the national championship in 89. I remember they beat West Virginia and they just embarrassed West Virginia. And I, I was like such a hard game to watch because I didn't like Notre Dame. And then they've, they've really had a, a decline here. But I think the thing is, is that everybody thinks they get a pass because they don't have to worry about playing in a conference. And 
if they do play in a conference, it's like a mix of the ACC and the Big Ten because they have Michigan, they have Michigan State, and then they have a lot of weak ACC teams, which we see, you know, Clemson. Obviously, Clemson's proven themselves as, yeah. a, as a powerhouse, but they basically get escorted into the college football playoff every year because they don't have to worry about uh, a powerhouse like the SEC or right. the Big Ten. You know, there's no other team. You know, Florida State maybe back in the day was, but not anymore. Miami, the one year recently, too, uh, was it three years ago mm-hmm. when they were undefeated? They destroyed Notre Dame in their game, and then they were undefeated until they lost to Clemson. Yeah. So and, but it, this isn't the Miami of old, you know? No, I know. Yeah. I'm saying so, just, I'm saying recently, if you're judging the ACC, it's interesting to look at the mm-hmm. trends of outside Clemson, where else has it come from? And you're right. It's really only Florida State early in the decade and right. Miami the one year. And then obviously they, they ended up choking in that one badly and they lost their coach after that. Yeah. It, they, I remember one year they, they laid an egg against Syracuse. And then the next year down in Clemson, they almost lost to Syracuse again. They had mm-hmm. to win, uh, I think, the backup quarterback. Right. Uh, uh, Chase in. Bryce. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, and so you know that Clemson's going to be a player in this, but – for other teams, you know, when still the power conferences, obviously, the SEC, the Big Big Ten, mm-hmm. I think the Big Ten made last year when Ohio State dominated like they did. I think that they didn't win the national championship, losing to Clemson the way they did in the semifinal. I know Ryan and I were talking about this a lot um, when it happened. Is I felt that the Big Ten, because of how Ohio State dominated, that that was their time to win. And if they didn't, that they were still going to hear the echoes of, oh, Big Ten, it's nowhere near right. the SEC. They're an also-ran. Every time they get their big chance, they wind up losing. And I think last year, clearly, Ohio State was, if not, you know, it was always, well, are they better than Alabama? Well, last year they were because mm-hmm. Alabama wound up losing to LSU, then they wound up losing a, a heartbreaker to Auburn. Auburn yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but uh, – as even in the Big Ten, there were a lot of good teams in the Big Ten last year. Yeah, yeah Penn State was good. Wisconsin was good. Uh, so, Minnesota was good for a yeah, while, too. Minnesota mm-hmm. was good. They were undefeated for most of the year. So I, I think that the way they handled that conference gave the Big Ten confidence that they were going to come out and beat anybody. And Clemson was like the team where that hadn't been tested all year. They kind of had a, a soft schedule. Here comes big Ohio State. you got to win that game to to prove yourself and improve your confidence is kind of being the best of the best if you're still second class to the SEC, and they didn't. Right. Um, and again, like you were saying with the scheduling, if that does end up happening, that'll definitely benefit a team like Clemson to, to be number one. They already have a loaded team as it is, a great recruiting class, like number three in the country this year in terms of the recruiting class they got. And again, it also shows how good of a coach Davo Sweeney is because remember, oh, yeah. Clemson last year, they were not – as talented as Ohio State was either. But again, a new, a new coach against Dabo Sweeney, they had the coaching advantage there too. So he, he's going to have a lot of work cut out for him if they do end up restricting it to a conference schedule. Now, again, they have to make sure they don't have those like down games like they did against Syracuse, like they did last year against North Carolina when they only won by one mm-hmm. because Carolina missed oh, yeah. a two-point conversion. So you, you can't have those down games in maybe in a, in a year like that where if the SEC powerhouse, whoever that may be, gets is undefeated too and plays obviously the stronger competition. Now, I don't know if we'll have that kind of case with a team like an LSU last year, a dominance level of that much, but it's going to be interesting to see because everyone, uh, Florida is a big favorite this year. Obviously Alabama is always a big favorite and Georgia's still around. They didn't lose much from last year. So we'll have mm-hmm. to see where they go. And they have a big, uh, who's a Jamie Newman, who's their quarterback prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
big, big prospect this year that could definitely make a difference for them as well. So you're right in terms of the scheduling, it has to be that way for Clemson. They can't have those down games in order to make that happen. And again, if they have all these players struggling with, with COVID, that could be hard if they lose depth, obviously college rosters are bigger, but still, Mm -hmm. if they're big name players, I'm not sure if there were any big name players listed. I didn't see the whole report. If there was any big ones that came into effect, but if they were 21 players, there's a lot of players on a football team. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be anybody big because it's going to affect everybody, you know, because then what, how does a team get started? See, that's what's going to be so interesting about this whole dynamic of playing with COVID is if somebody gets sick in baseball and basketball and hockey, somebody big, it's going to, be, it's going to look at it like this was tainted, like mm-hmm. the championship was tainted. The only other year I could compare to this, in baseball at least, is 81, when they had, you know, two half seasons. and That was the one where the Reds were leading and should have been in the playoffs or something like that? The funny thing was that yeah. the teams, two teams who had the most wins in the National League, the Reds in the West and the Cardinals in the East, both didn't make the playoffs. Because mm-hmm. they played consistently throughout the, the whole year. So what was the reasoning for that? Do they specify? They, they, not really. It was kind of, there was so much time taken off in between they wound up coming back with the offer game August 9th, and I believe the, the last game they played before that was in June. So there was almost like a, like a month and a half off, and they figured they didn't want to just pick up because of the imbalance of the schedule, so why don't we just create two different schedules? And that was really the first division series, which you know mm-hmm. they would later come on to adopt anyway. Right. Uh, and I remember I was, what, seven years old back when that happened, so I remember watching that and being how different it was. The Yankees wound up playing uh, the Brewers in the first round, and the Brewers the next year wind up uh, in the World, Series, World yeah. Series to the Cardinals. And the A's with Billy Martin, who were god-awful in 1979, lost like 100-something games, with a, a, a pitching staff of Mike Norris, uh, uh, Brian Kehoe, uh, Steve Lankford, all these guys that Billy Martin just ran into the ground and pitched like all like 200 innings. <laughs> Sounds like him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, they, they really pitched well. And then Henderson and guys like uh, Corny, uh, not Corny Lansford, he was with the Red Sox, but uh, Dwayne Murphy, uh, Tony Armas, those guys. Uh, I think 24 guys, I think, led the American League in home runs. Yeah, I think Tony Armas was one of them. Yeah. yeah. Like Bobby Gritch was another. Dwight Evans was another. Yeah, I Dwight believe. Evans was. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, that was the. Closest thing we can compare to the 60 games for baseball, I think, is going to be a hard sell as far as a legit champion. But we got to take what we can get. Now, in terms of this, the baseball, what do you think is going to happen in terms of how the players are going to embrace it? Again, you think strategy is going to change a lot? Because, again, it's interesting with, obviously, a game shifting to micromanaging as it is. Do you think there will be more of it, less of it, because of these new roster rules and stuff? It's hard to say. I mean, did, did you see... MLB Network did a um, did a show on Dennis Eckersley, okay, and they talked about his role and how he became a closer. And that's really when the game changed. Is this micromanaging? Remember, it was Gene Nelson in the seventh, Rick Honeycutt in the right. eighth, or a combination mm-hmm. of both. And then Eckersley gets the ball in the ninth. Before that, guys, your closer came in and it could come in in the seventh inning, eighth inning. So this micromanaging really started with Tony La Russa, who pretty much thinks yep. he just started you know, baseball as it is. Him and Bobby Valentine. He also think. pioneered the, hit, uh, the pitcher hitting eighth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Luis Ordaz and those guys on the, right. the, the Cardinals back then. So uh, I think that what we've seen so far is drastic overmanaging. I know with the Mets last year, 
you got to the point where after the seventh inning, you would fall asleep with all the different <laughs> moves they were making. None of them really worked out anyway. That's had a disastrous bullpen for how many years? Right. Um, it seems like every big-name reliever just dies with the Mets. And it's, it's like that way with a lot of teams, but it seems like it's always with the Mets. Yeah. But it's I, not like they don't try. It's just for whatever reason, but it, they don't manage it right. You know as well as I do that relievers from year to year are – you know, hit, hit and miss. Right. They're very phasey. Yeah. Besides, I think Craig Kimbrell, Araldis Chapman, mm-hmm. and maybe Kenley Jansen, there's no consistent closers. Mm-hmm. And even even before that, it was Rivera, it was Hoffman, and then before he came to the Mets, it was it was K-Rod. <laughs> oh, my God. It's going to K-Rod. I mean, we're getting into Mel Rojas territory. Or well, Benitez wasn't that bad. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you get the point. It's, it's all a phasey type thing. But now I think with the openers... With this more of this micromanaging thing, I think the pure closer element is also phasing out too, I to think an so. extent. And I think you're going to see it more as a whole phase out because of this micromanaging. And then they do this thing about the position players pitching too. Like, did oh, that really yeah. have to be limited? Yeah. <laughs> that was funny in itself as well. I I I think though, like John, I heard John Smalls talking about it, that they're going to go with four. They could go with four man rotations because these guys aren't going to go that many. Stars aren't going to mm. go that many innings to begin with. Uh, maybe five, six innings. And then by the time we get into September, October, maybe we'll see the big name starters go deeper into games because they're going to need to with some of those teams. You know, with Washington, you saw how Washington used um, starters last year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the only reason why they won because their bullpen was one of the worst in the <laughs> National League last year. Right. And I think, uh, who is it, the Cubs that really started that when Joe Madden was doing that with a lot of those relievers. And again, eventually mm-hmm. it was called on. The Red Sox did it when they won, obviously, mm-hmm. with the side Mets, stealing. But The Mets did it too. I remember Syndergaard coming in in the seventh inning of that game, uh, game five against the Dodgers. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you know? you're definitely seeing that versatility come into effect. I wonder, though, too, how many, how much pitchers or, or managers are really going to do that, though? Being that these guys are also, it's it could be rusty, it could be out, they could be out of baseball shape, not playing for so mm-hmm. long either. So that is the only thing that concerns me a little bit with what you were saying with the four man rotation. So I don't know how much it's going to work. I guess maybe short term for the time being, and again, how long term can you really think? Because it's only a sixty game season. Exactly. But so with, with with the number of roster spots available, and I think it's thank God that they are making these numbers available because these guys are not going to be ready, and especially pitchers, there's going to be injuries galore when we first start. So. Mm-hmm. Having those players available, I think, is a, is the right move to make because if not, then what would, would you be seeing? I mean, you, you've already seen a spike. I did uh, an article a couple a couple of months ago. I talked to Mark Simon, who works. Uh, does, yeah, does, you, you've told me about him. He many does times, research, yeah. mm-hmm. and he and I were talking about the spike, how how offensive numbers rise and fall, and why there's always a reason for it. Going back to the 20s and then the 90s, and and now in the last couple of years, there's been another explosion of of, of runs. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with also the way bullpens are used. I mean, a lot of teams, teams that win, come back against your bullpens because these guys aren't good enough to be starters and they're not good enough to be closers. So the middle relievers, to me, it never made sense how at the most important time of the game, these guys get a lot of the innings. Is that, isn't that seem surprising, though, considering that they, it's a micromanaging league? They, they try to pitch for the matchup specifically exactly. with left-handers? And, but that's it. It's like these guys don't have enough stuff to go beyond one batter, one inning. So if a guy can throw 98 miles an hour, 
you know, he can he can face that one batter. If a lefty has a, a wicked wicked slider, he could face that one batter. But if you you know give them an inning, they're going to be exposed. And I, I think now that they have to face three batters, the three batter minimum, that's going to be really interesting because it, hopefully that will prevent some of this overmanaging, which for a long time wasn't even done. I mean, starters would right. go seven innings, and, and it, you know then you go to the bullpen. You had a formalized list. You had your eighth guy. You had your ninth guy. You had your seventh guy, right? Right. So, I mean, this new uh, thing that really extends the game, and if you're watching like from the seventh to the ninth inning, it's kind of like watching basketball in the last three minutes with all the timeouts and and everything it kind of can get right, out of hand. Yeah. yeah, it can it can get out of hand. But anyway, getting back to college football, seven fifteen, we have uh, a guest from Tennessee Volunteers football offensive and defensive tackle recruit Colby Smith, Tennessee with the second ranked recruiting class for next year. Mm-hmm. So the Vols have not won the SEC East in two thousand four, and we all know the SEC has won number of national championships. Right. Been a big player in college football uh, going forward. So we we get to talk to him. Um, what what do you see happening in college football if they do play? The advantage of the conferences. Which conference do you think is going to take it? Has the biggest advantage, and what conference has the least advantage? All right, this is my final note because we have to go to break soon. I think you'd be surprised on on my answer here, but I actually mm-hmm. think this could benefit something like the Pac-12 okay. because they play so close as it is. Now, obviously, with the college football playoff, you never know, but you don't get the ACC having those extra uh, games early in the season where you get the blowouts. You don't have the SEC getting those same things where the competition may be favorable if it isn't as top-heavy. Now, I'm not saying a Pac-12 team is going to win it all, but I'm saying as a, as a conference, they might get it. This might be their best chance if they do play this conference-type thing to get a team in the playoff, which they normally – which they haven't done since Washington, who I still think don't think should have made it mm-hmm. as it is. And then you had Oregon uh, the year when they had Mariota. So yeah. th- those are the only times they make it in. So I think they could actually benefit a little bit from this because it's not a top-heavy conference and because they play directly like they always do anyway. Good point. So uh, we go to break, and when we come back, we will deal with Colby Smith, the offensive and defensive tackle recruit from Tennessee. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to Down to the Wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Back from 1980, Brian Johnson's first album. Mark Everett Kelly here with Speedy Petey and Down to the Wire as I fill in for Errol Marks, who had to step out for a little while as we continue on in the 7 o'clock hour, talking about college football before. We now have a guest from the Tennessee Volunteers in their number two recruitment class. From North Carolina, Colby Smith. Colby, how are you doing? It's Mark Ever Kelly and Speedy Petey here on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Colby, uh, are you there with us? I am. Uh, great. We can hear there you loud and clear. Everything's perfect now. Colby, I had mentioned before about, about COVID-19. Uh, I know you had answered the question, but we, 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 since we had some problems hearing you, uh, c- can you repeat again how you and your family have been handling this time? Um. Just trying our best to keep our um, normal routine going. I mean, my 
my parents, they haven't really changed much. They kind of have, like, a small business going on, so their routine really hasn't changed. But uh, mine, I've been, I've been trying to have to get creative with uh, working out and everything. And with um, not having to be able to go to the gym and whatnot. Yeah, I know that that must be hard for for a lot of athletes knowing where to go, where how to stay, who to stay away from, how to stay so, socially distant from other people. But uh, being recruited to Tennessee, you got Jeremy Pruitt uh, from you know one of the guys that was at Alabama. You come into I believe what's the best conference in college football. Have you noticed the trend lately of the SEC West's dominance within the division? How they've won uh, all but uh, one. Southeastern Conference Championship game, and being a Tennessee program hasn't won the East since 2004. What do you hope to bring to that uh, program that hasn't been there for a while? Um, just um, eat grit, man. To be honest with you, I mean, I I want to win. I believe that everybody coming in wants to win. I believe the whole program wants to win, man. I'm really happy, excited to get behind that. I really feel like things are about to change down there. I feel like they're heading in the right direction. What specifically about Coach Pruitt lured you to Tennessee? Uh, what, did he, what did he sell you on? I mean, Tennessee, over the years, they've had a revolving door of coaches for the most part. What about Coach Pruitt really sold you the most? His honesty. I mean, really, I mean, it's his honesty. And how easy it was to talk to him and how, and how you know, everything with that. I, I think one of the things that really impresses people about the SEC and someone like Pruitt is coming in and knowing that there are going to be challenges because you're coming into the toughest conference uh, in college football. Uh, you, fa- you, you guys play uh, Georgia every year. You play South Carolina every year. The one thing I noticed, though, about the SEC is the unbalanced, though, because each team has one common opponent from the other team, and Tennessee's common opponent just happens to be Alabama. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, I mean, I really, I feel like it's going to be great for me, to be honest with you. I mean, just, I mean, that's crazy. Not many people can say that they uh, play Alabama every year. You know what I'm saying? I really mm-hmm. feel like the competition like that is going to make me a much better player. Now, have you memorized the words to Rocky Top yet? Have you gotten any Peyton Manning phone calls? I mean, what what comes with the territory of being recruited to Tennessee? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I've got the whole Rocky Top thing down. I've, I've been looking, I've been listening, you know, and everything. I mean, I haven't got any phone calls from Peyton Manning, but I hope they will come. I, I will be definitely looking forward to that. I, I mean, just... I think I honestly think we should make you sing it before you get off the air, just as kind of as a break in the like, <laughs> top. What do you think? No, uh, we don't want to put you on the spot here, Colby. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what that will yet. Uh, yeah, I could picture you up there at the end of the game, like Peyton, you know, standing up and, and leading the band as they after a big win uh, against Alabama <laughs> or uh, against Georgia. You know, you know how, how how it gets down there in the in the SEC. But playing at Neyland yeah. Sta- playing at Neyland Stadium, one of the biggest stadiums in the country, over a hundred thousand people, uh, coming from North Carolina, how do you feel about that type of environment? Does it intimidate you all? Are you looking are you looking forward to it? Man, I can't be more excited. <laughs> I've never even been anywhere near something like that before in my life. 
In terms of Tennessee as a whole, the state, the football fanhood, what are you most looking forward to with the experience of just embracing the culture of the state of Tennessee and, uh, and obviously of the Tennessee volunteers as a university? I mean, just meeting the people down there, man. I mean, everybody, it seems to me, everybody I've met from Tennessee has been a genuinely good person. And I just, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I love everything. I love the scenery. I mean, it's, a, it's just a great place. I just fell in love with it. Are you, what are you most looking forward to with the football team as a whole? And is there any of your fellow recruits you, you are looking forward to playing with most? Um, I'm really looking forward to, um, hopefully, hopefully I can get my man Diego to commit with me. And I mean, I was really looking forward to uh, playing with him. We have, we Diego have, I apologize. I didn't mean to interrupt you. We have, we have Colby Smith, uh, from the Tennessee Volunteers, number two recruiting class in the SEC. Colby is an offensive and defensive lineman out of Rockingham County, Reedsville, North Carolina. Colby, it says you're a two-way player. Now, you know Jeremy Pruitt has not been shy about playing guys on both sides of the ball. How do you feel about that? What are you more comfortable playing, offense or defense? Um, either or, to be honest with you. I mean, I feel comfortable on both sides of the ball. I mean, I, I think I could use – some more knowledge on the defensive side, but I mean, I'd be, I'd be fine playing both. What would you say is your biggest strength? Is it your footwork? Is it your hands? Is it your ability uh, to, to beat an opponent to the punch? What would you say is your biggest strength on offense and defense? My uh, leverage and um, quickness. Do you have a preference? Oh, sorry. What did you say? You said he was sorry. I said, I'm, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a preference on which one you like to play more between the offensive tackle and the defensive tackle? And if so, why? Um, that's a hard one. <laughs> that really is a hard one. I mean, really, I would like to say I like defense more. For what reason? Just because, I mean, I mean, you can just get nasty on defense, man. I love it. Is there a particular intimidation factor that you like to do on the line of scrimmage against other offensive linemen when you do play defense? And if so, is the trash talking game between the offensive lineman and the defensive lineman how does it differ? And is it is it that much different at, at, even at the high school level? Um, not really, <laughs> not really. And I mean, I would, I would, I would like to say that the offensive and uh, defensive line talk or trash talk is better than any other position on the field. We are talking with Colby Smith here of the Tennessee Volunteers recruiting class, the second-ranked recruiting class in college football this year. Colby, when you noticed how many guys were being recruited and you see that Tennessee could turn the corner here, it's been a while before the Vols, uh, since the Vols have been uh, pertinent in the SEC. What does that mean to you to get this program back to where it was when Philip Fulmer was there when they won a national championship the year after Manning left with T. Martin? What does it mean to you to bring that uh, program back to prominence? Um, the world, man. I mean, I would just love to be a part of that. My name will forever be in that conversation, man. And I mean, I and I, I truly believe we will make it happen. So I, mean, I honestly can't wait. Is is there one particular SEC opponent you're looking forward to playing, and why? Um, 
probably out of them. Mm-hmm. It's got to be. Yeah, I wonder where you got that one from. <laughs> <laughs> You're wearing an yeah, Alabama. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be. I mean, you know as well as I do watching college football. And we, I, I want to get into who kind of your favorite players are in the NFL, who has really uh, influenced your p- play. But watching the SEC and, and seeing just the intensity of the matchup, Saban on the sideline, yelling at his players, yelling at the referees, uh, you know, even going to an environment that down in, uh, in Columbia with South Carolina or going to Georgia, the, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, you know, with Florida and Georgia. It just there's so much of fanfare with the SEC uh, that they got to celebrate. ESPN did 150 years of college football, which I thought were great, specifically celebrating the SEC. But what, was, what is it about, like, what NFL players have you watched that have really inspired you, that you've learned from? Is there anybody specifically that you watch on Sundays that you hope to pattern after? Um, Joe Thomas and uh, Taylor Lewan. Mm. And Those two, I mean, I've really been watching. I mean, I love how um, Taylor Lewan plays the game. I just love the way he carries himself. I mean, I just love everything about his game. And of course, Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas is future Hall of Famer. Uh, in terms of the offensive tackle position and the defensive tackle position from when you started watching football to today, how do you think those positions have changed? Mm. The speed, definitely the athleticism of those positions have definitely changed. And, and you can see that guys are much slimmer on those sides of the ball. So I, guess, I feel like I'm comfortable at the right time, so I feel like that's kind of where I fit in. Again, we are here with Colby Smith of the Tennessee Volunteers number two recruiting class in the country. Colby from North Carolina, Reedsville, North Carolina. Colby, we got a couple more questions for you, then we'll let you go. What is it like coming from North Carolina, going down to Tennessee? Could you explain a little bit the difference in how the people are, what the environment's like? Uh, you know, North Carolina on the East Coast, Tennessee, kind of you know, in the in, in the middle of the country. What what to you is uh, is the biggest difference? Um, I would, I mean, I would honestly just say the weather and that accent, man. I mean, there's really to me, there really isn't that much of a difference. It's just the fact that Tennessee. I mean, I believe it's way more of a football state than North Carolina is, in my opinion. Now, North Carolina, obviously not much more known as a basketball state. Is that something that uh, you see in terms of the fan bases, in terms of maybe your high school or even any local fan base? Do you see a big difference, and do you expect the difference to be stronger in Tennessee being more of a football state? Um, I definitely do because, um, I mean, yeah, people love football, of course, you know, small town. I mean, here. I mean, around here. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, a bunch of people show up. I mean, it's nothing like, you know, games of Tennessee. But I mean, a, lot, a bunch of people show up. Everybody gets into it. But I mean, of course, North Carolina. It, it is a basketball state, so you really know how that goes with everything. And I just really feel like Tennessee. I mean, it's gonna be awesome. I can't wait. So, so you're telling us that that North Carolina isn't isn't Friday Night Lights down there? Um, 
North Carolina isn't Friday Night Lights like we used to see on a TV show or the movie. It's not, we don't have any of that kind of environment on football, uh, high school football. <laughs> Come on now. I mean, eh. <laughs> I think that says it all, Colby. I think that's a great way to end the interview. Uh, Colby Smith, <laughs> Colby Smith, North Carolina, uh, from Reedsville, North Carolina, heading to Tennessee in the fall, part of their uh, number two recruiting class. Colby, we'll watch out for you. Remember us here at Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We would love to have you on any other time. The best of luck to you uh, as you move forward, and hope that you and your family stay healthy and safe, and uh, we look forward to seeing you this college football year. Yes, sir. I really appreciate that. God bless. Well, I, I think that judging from what the excitement coming from him and I think most of these players expect to move forward. Mm-hmm. With the, you know, uh, it's hard to say when you look, go across the country, see things rising, spiking in a lot of different places in the southeast and, and, and in Texas, Arizona. But so many people have had enough of this, I, I believe. And some of these athletes, too, high school athletes that feel like they're invincible, most of these, most of the the people that are suffering from this, it doesn't really affect the younger kids. So I could really see someone coming from high school wanting to play college football. It's kind of being mm-hmm. his dream since he started. Kind of like, oh, my God, now we have to deal with this. You know, I don't want any delays. I just want to get into it and the whole recruiting process and all that. So it's very interesting to talk to him, get his kind of point of view on what Tennessee is like. And, I mean, as we were looking – the SEC West has absolutely dominated mm-hmm. the East, right. only winning one SEC championship. That was Georgia a couple right. of years ago. It's been a long time since anybody in the SEC East has been relevant outside of Florida and Georgia. Yes, indeed. So it is time now. We're at 7.40 p.m. We had about 20 minutes before the Wise Guys debut later on. They will be starting up at 8. But right now it is time for our Monday segment. This is Mark It Up. Mark It Up. Mark It Up. Mark It Up. All right, Mark, what are we getting into today? Well, I guess I could introduce myself because uh, <laughs> usually I am uh, remotely involved in this, but uh, covering for Errol here is my pleasure to do that. We have my own, I have my own segment already. I'm mm-hmm. not here for, even for, for an hour, and already I got my own segment. But I, I think one of the most interesting things is going back okay as we get into the NFL and the drama of the, the gridiron and everything that goes with professional sports that we have been missing for so long here uh, as we've watched at home. Did you see any of the decision last night? I did not. Yeah, me neither. But I, I remember what that was like. Okay, because I remember watching it. And how old were you when that happened? Uh, let's see. That was 2010. Yeah. That was that summer. I would have been. 15, 14 or 15. I forget which date it happened. Probably 14 because my birthday is in late July. Right. I mean, I, I remember everybody thinking LeBron was going to go to maybe L.A. or New York. I mean, Nick fans were just psyched up. I thought he was headed to Chicago. I remember yeah. predicting that. Yeah. There were so many different places. And then all of a sudden, Miami comes in. And then we have this whole idea of a super team. You know, Chris Boss decides to come. Dwayne Wade decides to come. And then Miami goes from I mean, having a, well, Jeremy Wade was already there, but right. having already won a championship in 2006. When I remember that 2006 final, it looked like it was over about, uh, about halfway through the fourth quarter, of game three, when it looked like the Heat were going down with three games to none. They come back, they win that championship unexpected with Pat Riley coming back to get 
his final ring as a head coach. Now they have what you would think is a dynasty. I remember when they had that party. Mm-hmm. Remember, and like everybody's yeah. there and they were mm-hmm. dancing, and LeBron is saying, yeah, How many championships are we going to win in a row? Only wind up winning two. Yeah, they only won two, and they got upset in one of the biggest upsets I've ever seen against the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, a reversal of 2006. Yeah, and again, you're. But still, like even judging it, the it was Dirk Nowitzki and a lot of older guys on mm-hmm. that team. It wasn't really like they were all in their prime. It wasn't yep. like they had that other team. And let's not forget, they also beat the Thunder to get there too, who was one of the best teams in the league as well. I, I yeah. remember picking them. To, I think I had them winning it all that year or going to the finals. And I, and I was shocked when Dallas did it. I was happy though for Dirk though. Absolutely. At, at that time, and it was really impressive what he was able to put together. And a lot of those role players were able to put together against LeBron. But again, you could also tell the pressure was still on LeBron at that time. And then oh, after yeah. that, again, he played well, but he just wasn't good enough for the team. And obviously the, the Mavericks won. And then after that, they won there too, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they lose to the Spurs. Really, they should have lost to the Spurs twice. If you yeah, remember Kawhi right. Leonard makes the free throws, right. Yeah, and and, and uh, Ray Allen hits the three uh, because mm-hmm. the offensive rebound, I believe, by Chris Bosh. It, it, it was Chris Bosh. Yeah. I think it was over uh, – was it Tiago Splitter, I think it was yeah, over? Yeah, yeah. You kind of tri- – yeah. I mean, I, I remember watching that game thinking, oh, well, here, here we go again. Uh, but – you don't realize getting through the West back then, when you think of what Dirk had to go through, you know, getting through the Spurs, getting through the Lakers early on in the 2000s, you know, and then a little bit later uh, dealing with Oklahoma, you know, there was always a great team out there in the West. I remember one year, the year Dallas didn't make it with Dirk, mm-hmm. um, when they won like 70 games. Oh, like, 2007, they lost to the We Believe games. Warriors. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, one of the only times that a one lost to an eight. Yeah, and the, 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 the year only, after they won the the, the what year after they were in the finals and wound up losing to the Heat. Yeah, I think the only other one I remember besides I think there were two actually two others that I remember. One of which was bound to happen because Derrick Rose got hurt for the Bulls and mm-hmm. they lost to the 76ers in 2012. Right. The other only other one I remember was the Grizzlies over the Spurs in 2010. I think that same year that Dallas won, the Grizzlies beat the Spurs in the first round, mm-hmm. and we actually had their play-by-play announcer Eric Hassel sign on on an interview a couple weeks ago and. He was going through a lot of those, a lot of the adrenaline of that of those mm-hmm. games, broadcasting those games. It was a lot of fun, and again, it was one of the most impressive things I saw because the Spurs were just so good. It seemed like they were unbeatable unless you had those superstars. Yeah, and that was very impressive in itself. But again, mm-hmm. you're right; it rarely happens in the NBA playoffs. And I don't know about you, but I've always advocated for the NBA to adopt more of an NFL playoff style and play six teams because think about this: load management is becoming a big thing in the NBA. You know. So why not reward the players by getting a bye if you do end up getting right. a one or two seed? I always thought the NFL That's playoff befor- format in the NBA would be good for that reason. That's Keep true. the series going. Give them the the, give, the, give the players the low management they want because a lot of these eight seeds and seven seeds are under 500. Yeah. I mean, when look, what I remember is in 94 when the Son- Sonics just blew out the Nuggets the first two games and Nuggets coming back to win that series, mm. the very first eight beating one. And, of course, the Knicks in 99 going all the way to the finals. Yes. Uh, but, again, they played the Heat, which would, they were perfectly matched up against the Heat. After they lost in 97 with a fight with Charlie Ward and P.J. Brown, 98 they beat him as a seven seed, 99 they beat him as an eight seed, and 2000 they beat him in Miami at home field advantage in all of those series, losing a game five in 98, 99, and game seven in 2000 at Miami. So – that was just because the Knicks matched up so well with Miami. But it usually really doesn't happen a one beating an eight. And I, I think that, that that's what all the, you know, the, for the first round now became markedly improved after that happened, where a team like Golden State 
which was just and also ran kind of during the season. And they beat him easy, if you remember that series. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of blew him out of those games. Right. And that was the end of Avery Johnson, <laughs> um, who went up going to Alabama, and now, he, yep. he, now he's not even at Alabama anymore. Um, so he, yeah, yeah, they got uh, Nate Oates now. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. so I, I, I think that watching LeBron and watching you, getting back to what we were talking about before, uh, about the decision, okay? When LeBron went to Miami, that was going to be uh, like, kind of like what Jordan was with the Bulls in the 90s. They were going to be, you know, LeBron himself has been in the finals every year except for last year, you know, going back to 2010. But just the fact that he brought such a change to this new uh, dream team, you know, like uh, we can we can hold out. We can create our own team by sitting out and by all becoming free agents, something I don't think ever would have been done. Imagine Larry Bird coming and saying, hey, Magic, what do you think? But no way. Right. You know, they, they wanted to beat each other. Right. Errol mentions it all the time. Everybody hated each other at that time. So they wanted to keep going with those types of rivalries. And the thing with the NBA is there still wasn't parity to the extent that other sports have. They still had in the 80s, outside of the Sixers and the Pistons, every title was won by the Lakers or the Celtics. So mm-hmm. you didn't really have much parity. Sometimes you had different opponents, sure, but you didn't have much parity. And then in the 90s, obviously, you had Jordan winning six titles. And the Rockets in the two years, Jordan wasn't there winning the other two. So mm-hmm. it's not like you really had much difference when it comes to that. But, yeah, you're definitely changing free agency the way it is. And, again, a lot of the strict guidelines that we had with tampering back in the day, they're, they're loosened up now. I don't know if they should get ruled completely. I don't know if that's kind of the thing. But mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of players are illegally tampering now without us even knowing. Right. Uh, I, I think another thing I'd like to talk about is getting into the baseball season right mm-hmm. now with the with the uh, agreement ending between the players and the owners. Mm-hmm. Okay, we all know what happened in '94, and I I definitely see that coming to a head and could happen again. Really, at, at the end of two, because there's so much difference between the two. I mean, they barely agreed during a time of national emergency where everybody kind of has, can can think. Hey, let's do the best thing for the country and get back to playing. They still were fighting then over who's more of the victims, the billionaire owners or the, the millionaire players. And the owners created all of this by paying these guys this money. It's not like, they, not like the players forced them to pay them all this money. I mean, the owners decided to make that decision. Uh, anytime the owners have tried to cut back and lower salaries, I don't know if you remember, in 87 there was a collusion. They actually were rewarded, the players were rewarded uh, um, in a courtroom that the the owners conspired to collude and to not offer the free, big-time free agents in 87 big contracts. Wow, okay. Yeah, Andre Dawson, Andre Scalabrago, all Andre Dawson yeah. wound up uh, coming from the Expos to the Cubs mm-hmm. and signed for like half of what he normally would have. Uh, Tim Raines actually sat out till May as a free agent, hmm. and then he wound up re-signing with the Expos. Wow. So a, a lot of that was the owners trying to get control of it again, and then it just gets out of control. You pay A Rod two hundred fifty million. You pay Brian Har- uh, Brian Harper all this money. So I mean, yep. uh, uh, it, it gets absolutely ridiculous. So the owners have no one to blame but themselves. Yeah, and I think too what you're looking at is in a sport without a salary cap. I know they have the luxury tax, but in mm-hmm. a sport without a salary cap, you have to anticipate they they were losing some of the same percentages anyway. And this is what I said many times on on Twitter. 
about uh, why I was siding with the players for the most part is that the, the owners are going to lose a similar percentage per team. If you're a middle market team, a, a low market team, it's going to be similar percentage lost. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think 60%, 70% that the players were asking for was unreasonable. So it was surprising to me in that as- instance too. So that's why I ended up siding with the players in that instance. So I'm surprised that the players ended up taking this type of deal, but it seems like they really did want to play. Which I guess wasn't the case in '94 until obviously they started. What did the what did they start June of '95? The next season? No, no, they, they wound up starting at the end of April. Okay. Uh, because I remember the Mets playing the Rockies in the first game, and it was Dante that was the Fitch. first game at Coors Field. Yeah, that... Dante Bichette in a walk off homer of the again yeah. a beleaguered Mets bullpen. It never, it never <laughs> ends. Yeah. I guess a new, I guess a new, a two-year expansion franchise in the yeah, state. Yeah, yeah, way to go. <laughs> uh, that was Dallas Green and company back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that it's great to have baseball back, but this is kind of like the storm on the horizon. I, I think that the owners want a salary cap. I think a lot of the reasons you say make sense. And we're going into 17 straight years of record profits for the MLB and these owners. So it's not like, you know, Major League Baseball has taken a step back, I think, as far as the fan base, because not many people watch, if you look at baseball's ratings, it doesn't rate with football, it doesn't rate no, with... No, and I don't think it ever will. Yeah, so it's not like they can go and say, hey, look at what all the success we're having with the fans. I think, though, with as far as the TV contracts, the, the networks, and... Some of the money that the fans are spending on jerseys and stuff like that, or, or attendance really hasn't been lacking either. So they're at a popular spot now. They don't want to go back to where they were in 95, 96, before that home run race in 98, where people are take a while to come back to the game. Because if they do that, if they sit out, if they waste any more time, I don't think people are going to come back. There's too many other things for them to do now. Well, now here's the, here's the thing I will counter with, though. Do, being that a lot of players are getting paid younger right away. We're, we saw it with Acuna. We saw it with right. Eloy Jimenez. And Albies. Uh, yeah. Albies, yeah. We saw it with a lot of different cases. Do you think that kind of thing would still happen with, again, the majority of these other types of players? Now, the ones getting hindered by this are the veteran players that maybe had past success and aren't getting paid because now general managers looking up are looking at future projections, what it could be, so they're not paying guys as much. That's why guys like Mike Moustakis have lingered in free agency a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, with that kind of thing happening, could you still see like a whole majority of players striking though too? If they do, if they don't like this setup in terms of the season, I think that the players always have the power because I mean, if you remember in '95, what they tried to do is put replacement players in, and that did not work. I mean, it eventually got the players back, but the, the replacement players who were brought in were basically uh, laughed out of, of the business. And I mean, the play, the major league players never really accepted them. You had some guys like Rick Reed sticking around yeah. and becoming part mm-hmm. of a roster, but they never really forgave them um, you know, as, as, as far as taking part in that. So the owners can say what they want, but if the players aren't going to negotiate and, and come back down to where the owners want to, and they won't, and they shouldn't, that's going to create a standoff. And it's kind of who's going to blink first, and it's always going to be the owners because they cannot exist without the players. And you know what? They created the problem themselves. Well, I also think, too, it's GMs also to an extent. I don't, I don't think the owners want to spend any more than what we know them to spend. We know, we know what the high market teams are that will spend when they get good. We know the high market teams that will spend even if they're not good. They'll just spend anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, it also is GMs to an extent, too, in terms oh, of like time. what I was saying earlier. They want to pay for future project, projections. They want to pay for analytics. And a lot of these other players, mm-hmm. these older players that might have more power – 
they may end up losing a little bit of leverage there too. So to an extent, the owners have an advantage in that way, but you're right. It's still going to be the players. And again, I think because of what we were talking about with the NBA earlier, ironically, other players in other sports want to have that kind of power, but it's a little different the way it's set up. Now, like I said, I think baseball still has a lot of issues just because they don't have a salary cap. So you, it's obvious where these guys are going to go all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas again, the NFL is a salary cap, so there's no obvious free agent def- de- destinations. Obviously there's going to be preferences with good teams and stuff, but good teams change all the time too, especially in the NFC where there's a lot of parity. So right. they want to be like basketball players to an extent, but it's, that's going to be harder. And as a result, while somebody else, like we were mentioning earlier with Bryce Harper, he might get 300 million Somebody, some other teammate on the Phillies that maybe he's getting could get more ends up getting a discount. So mm-hmm. that makes it harder and makes it more top heavy in that instance. So it's interesting that the players' union is going to approach it like that too. And you wonder who has the most power there. Right. And I, I think and the last thing I'd like to talk about. You guys talked about it earlier on the show is Cam Newton That's going Cam to the Patriots. Belichick gets caught with another thing, uh, you know, taping a game yep. between the Bengals and the Browns, was it? Or? No, it was back-to-back weeks. They played the Browns, and they they played the Bengals, and I think they practiced with the Browns or okay. something, some joint practice, and they're obviously both in the same state. It was the week before they were playing the Bengals. Maybe they just played the Browns or something like that, but it was caught in those venues. Mm, okay. Uh, I mean, Belichick doing, you know, stretching the rules is nothing new. So, I... Uh, a lot of people think he gets a slap on a wrist, but the Patriots have continued excellence. How many straight, you know, the last time they didn't win the AFC East was 2008. Yeah, you're Brady Torres ACL by yeah. Bernard Pollard in the first week of the season. Right, and then you had the Dolphins winning the division. for On a tiebreaker, too. Remember, the Patriots and Dolphins were both 11-5. Yeah. So it took, a, I guess, a division tiebreaker or a conference tiebreaker or something like that. It did. I don't remember, but yeah, that was the last time they did not win. Now, do you think the pun? You think the punishment was good? You think it was, or I think it doesn't matter. Even as, even as a repeat offender, though, I, I don't think it matters. I mean, they, they, they could. The only way you really punish New England is if you take away a consistent amount of first round picks. Taking around a third round pick in 2021, it don't matter. They're going to replace it within two trades anyway. With compensation picks, a lot of the time too. That's yeah. why I think too you have to, especially being a repeat offender, maybe at least do a first round pick. Whether exactly. It's, whether it's this year or whether it's next year or whatever, at least do some level of a exactly. first round pick because obviously Belichick will still draft gems anyway. That's what he does as, yeah. long, as long as he's coaching there. But that's what's going to end up happening. So at least make it hurt. Where again, the Patriots now having to rely on other talents. And I mentioned this in the beginning of the show when we were talking about Cam Newton. It seems like Belichick is doing different things than what he normally does. Look at the last two drafts. I mean, they had or not this year, but the two drafts before that. They drafted a running back, which they never do in the first round. Mm-hmm. After, uh, I think the last one before Michelle was Lawrence Maroney. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, wow. a receiver, that's right. that's especially right. a big-bodied receiver like Nikhil Harry. That's not normally what they like. So it sells that Belichick's changing his philosophy. But still, again, they could have been caught a little more than just a third-round pick know. for being I, a repeat offender. They always seem to get slapped on the wrist, though. So it, it, it really doesn't matter either way. They, they, they are what they are. Newton being in the AFC, though, I think is really going to be interesting because – Everyone thought, okay, New England's taking a step back. Well, right. you know, you look at Newton younger than Brady. You know, obviously his heyday, 15-1, 2015. He hasn't been bad the last couple of years. If you look at his overall numbers, mm-hmm. his, his touchdowns to pick or, or more as far as touchdowns, throws for, for over 3,000 yards in every year, but with 6-8 and eight in two of those years. 
And I, I think that, you know, last year's injury problem maybe is something to, to look at when you think of his ability to stay healthy. One thing you never had to worry about with Brady outside of that one year was if he was right. going to miss games. Yeah, sometimes he got hurt in practice, but that was really it. Like, the, you know, the Patriots, they like to twist the injury reports all the time, too. So Brady might have been listening to this questionable, but he really wasn't anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that how is Newton's going to play in the AFC East against the Jets against the Bills, who most people think are going to win the division next year, or at least they're the favorite. Buffalo is the so-called favorite. Owl makes fun of the uh, when we had the NFL Network people on. He makes fun of them as being the Bills Network because everyone was hyping them up. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> I, 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 I'm I'm right with him there. I do not think I, I think the Bills are getting a lot of press that they mm-hmm. deserved at the end of the year last year, but it, I I don't think right. that they're going to take advantage. I, I I still think the Bills have many many holes on offense. Starting with with Allen, I know Errol likes him a little better than I do, but I, I do too. Yeah, I, I I think that he's way too inconsistent. He throws for a way too low of a percentage in today's game, and they don't have as many weapons uh, running the ball that they used to have. And I I think that even getting a wide receiver, if he doesn't get to get him the ball, it's not really going to make a difference. So I I think that it'll eventually pay off for the for the. For the Patriots, if if Newton stays healthy, but either way, we're out of time. Yes, uh, eight o'clock. We got the Wise Guys coming up. Yes, the Wise Guys, the debut of the Wise Guys. It is Trey Larkins, Clarence Nixon, and Jordan Dawson. They are a show from Cincinnati. They will be debuting right as soon as we get off. So, Mark, thanks for ha- thanks for joining us for this hour. And yes. uh, we had your segment, uh, and we had Colby Smith on the phone. Thanks for having. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, and we will see you again next Monday. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.